this year's NAIDOC week is all about celebrating the lives and achievements of Indigenous elders across the country. Aboriginal elder Uncle Thomas Slocky has spent the last four decades championing his community and advocating for housing justice for Indigenous people, from grassroots campaigns all the way to helping with state legislation. And this year, his contributions to his community were recognised with a nomination for NAIDOC Week's Male Elder of the Year Award. Uncle Thomas Lockie joins us now. Tom, good afternoon and congratulations. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, it was good to be nominated. Great to be amongst a lot of great uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people up at the awards. You were born on Bundjalung country on the New South Wales north coast in what you've described as a Hessian bag house. What do you remember about those early years? Yeah, well, I only remember when my brothers told me that we were under a... Uh, mum and dad were living under a Morton Bay fig tree and, and they built an old shack under it. Uh, we moved on from that afterwards, but, uh, yeah, I was born uh, uh, twins. We were um, born in Moorlamont Hospital. Um, I remember mum telling me I was we were pretty crook and I was in hospital for 70 days before I came out of the hospital. Mm. Um, but, yeah, went back to the... Um, little shack that dad had built and then um, yeah we moved on from there but that's where we're, that's where life started for me. And how did that time shape your understanding of, of what a home is? Oh a home was important very important and um, dad and mum were very keen on keeping the family together under under one roof. Um, uh, you know many Aboriginal people their roof is the stars but uh, yeah we made uh, good. They made good by you know getting into housing. Uh, my dad was a fisherman. Um, got um, in the next house. I remember we went up to Tincam Bay, and they uh, the fishing company put us in a house up there, and um, we were all in the, all in the one place. And it was just great to be together as a family. And then later on, we moved back to Tincam Bay. Uh, sorry, from Tincam Bay to Tweed Heads. It's our Tweed Heads. Um, was after my brother. John Slocky got killed boxing and devastated mum and dad and we moved back home to be closer to the community. It was funny up in Tinkambay, even though we're on Butchula country, um, we're in a, in a community that's mainly all whitefellas it was. It was okay, we got on with everyone, uh, but uh, we, mum and dad moved, knew more people in Tweed Ed, so we moved back there. You left school, though, and joined the, the armed forces as a teenager in the hopes of escaping a, a bit of the racism that you had witnessed and experienced. How was that time for you? Yeah, well, I remember when we were at the Tweed Heads, Mum, um, Dad and the uncles all built a house for us. I remember they, they, they secured a block of land. I don't know how they ever done it, but <laughs> praise God they did anyway. So, uh, yeah, Tweed Heads was, was a good place to grow up in, but I did see some racism there and... My dad died early. Um, he was 53, had a massive heart attack and died. Went to leave school. I just passed my intermediate certificate and uh, ended up working in Mineral Sands. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, I, uh, I thought it was, it was, I suppose, a bit of racism and, and I, I feel a lack of opportunity to, to move forward. Um, it was funny because I didn't ever have any aspirations to join the Army, never fight a gun in my life. Um, which I call a God thing, and uh, I got some somehow I got uh, this urge to get out of Tweed Heads, and you know I did experience uh, racism up there, um, but some 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 white fellows are really nice to us. 
and then that's how I joined the army here to get out of Tweed Heads and branch out and have a look and try me hand somewhere else. And was that experience any better? Yeah, well, it was. It was something different. It, it, it did teach me discipline, that's for sure. Uh, and but I did run into a bit of you know racism throughout the army too. And uh, but most people were pretty good to me and gave me a chance. Um, I remember I'd uh, never really went for my promotion, and uh, and I suppose I had this low self-esteem as an Aboriginal person growing up, and not a lot of self-confidence. Um, and it wasn't until an incident uh, that a, an officer identified how, how you know how good I was at doing things that I thought, you know, I'm just as good as whitefellas, so I, I might as well have a go at promotion. So I did work my way up through the ranks eventually, and. Um, when I got at the army, I was at the rank of sergeant. I could have went on with it, but uh, I just, my wife, I'd, I'd, uh, while I was in the army, um, I married a, a girl from a beautiful Aboriginal girl, Muriel from Batemans Bay, and got sort of adopted into the community family down here, the tribe down here, the Walbunja tribe and the Chapman family. And it was just good because I used to come down every weekend and be part of the Aboriginal community while I was still in the army. Yeah, after leaving the army in 1983, you moved full-time to Batemans Bay. That's on the south coast of New South Wales. Pretty apparent then what drew you to that area. Batemans Bay, though, was ultimately where you found this lifelong passion for, for finding housing justice for Aboriginal people. Why did that occur? What kick-started that for you? Yeah, thank you. At, uh, when I got out of the army, I looked around for a property. Uh, I was going to buy uh, a block of land and build a house. Uh, oh, first of all, I couldn't rent a house. I just got out the army. I uh, had my uh, bit of money in my pocket and, uh, you know, I couldn't rent a house anywhere. We, we ended up moving in with my wife's sister in a, a derelict house uh, that she had ready. Um, and from there we moved into another condemned house. But, you know, that was all right. It was a roof overhead. And, uh, but I, I, I just started to think, gee, if I can't get a house, I can't buy a block. And every time I went to buy a block of land, it was either pulled off the market or just no one wanted to sell it. And uh, Why do you think that was? That, Why did you find it so hard? Well, I'd trace it back to, you know, some people didn't like Aboriginal people living next to them or some people didn't like Aboriginal people living in the street. Mm. Um, I'm not judging everybody, uh, but there were uh, a number of people like that. And uh, that made me think, if I can't get a property, I can't really rent a house really well, uh, my brothers and sisters in this community, my white people must be finding it pretty tough, tough. So we all, the community all come together. I gave a bit of leadership and we formed an Aboriginal housing company. And that was back in the days before ATSIC. Uh, and it was uh, an organisation called the Aboriginal Development Commission uh, were giving grants for housing. You've since gone on to work in a, a number of roles, including the, the Deputy Mayor of the Yorubadala Shire Council, the inaugural chairperson of the Aboriginal Housing Development Committee and even board chair of the Southern Area Health Services Board. You're also an ordained priest. How important is it for you to, to be in service to your community in some way? Yeah, well, I felt I was called to serve my community, um, you know, it's, there's a verse in the Bible that says, don't look, on, don't look about your own interest, look on the interest of others. And that sort of found root in me, found real um, purpose and meaning for my life to reach out and help others. And so um, 
it was it was great because when I got out of the army, I didn't really have a job, and there was a an Aboriginal elder, uh, Pastor Ossie Cruz. Uh, Uncle Ossie had been the member of the National Aboriginal uh, Con- um, Conference. This is uh, yeah, it was interesting history. You know, we're talking about the voice now, but the Aboriginal Ab- National Aboriginal Conference was, I believe, a great organisation. It was. Uh, um, the Aboriginal Development Commission was still around, and this was an election that elected Aboriginal leaders from right around the country, and they formed a pretty good, solid group uh, that really had influence over government, had influence in world affairs also. And he wanted someone to work with him while he was uh, doing his representation at Canberra and, and other places, places in Australia. And of course, he, he was part of the World Indigenous Council too. And... So I, it took me to a lot of different communities on the southeast of New South Wales, like from Wollongong to Goulburn to Queen Anne, Cooma, Eden, um, Maruya, Batemans Bay, Nara, And I got to work with the communities and the people in those communities to help them address. And I got drawn towards housing because housing was still a big need back then as it is today, um, you know, to help them get some of the housing for their communities. Indigenous elder Uncle Thomas Slocky is discussing Aboriginal housing and homelessness here on RN Drive. And Tom, in 2003, you co-founded the Southeastern Aboriginal Regional Management Service for Aboriginal Community Housing. So you started managing around 100 tenancies, and that's since grown to, what, over 500 homes across Southeast New South Wales and the ACT. What changes have you seen in these communities in that time? Well, it's been pretty difficult, uh... We, um, the, the recent of forming these regional um, housing uh, management services was a, a strategy that I sort of started in the Aboriginal Housing Office in New South Wales, and there were four of them that were created around New South Wales because the smaller uh, grassroots organisations find that difficult to manage, um, and we could see the future that there was uh, a much more a regulated, regulated system coming in place for community housing. So we knew that it would be difficult for a lot of these small organisations to meet regulation. So we created these new organisations, regional management services. For the South East, I coined the name Sea Arms, which, meant, which basically meant South East um, Aboriginal Management Services. Um, and so it, we we done agreements with uh, land councils and small organisations and formed, a, in the early days, it was a cooperative. And it, uh, we got some funding from the AHA and we used to manage on behalf of these small organisations. Over time, we started to grow. Um, we started to manage houses on behalf of other organisations. Uh, we started to be... Uh, the, uh, the only bit of growth that came along was when the Aboriginal Housing Office basically gave us houses to be managed on their behalf. These houses were managed um, previously. Uh, some of them are still are being managed by New South Wales Housing Commission Department of Housing, now called Department of Community and Justice, DCJ Housing. So we, we now manage on behalf of the Aboriginal Housing Office around, it must have been nearly 300 properties. Mm. Uh, the others are owned by community organisations and CMs own some of the properties that we manage ourselves. Of course, the south coast of New South Wales hit heavily by those 2019-2020 Black Summer bushfires. How did that impact housing in the area? Yeah, that was dramatic. Um, 
very big effect on many people, Aboriginal people included. Um, our communities lost some houses in Wallaga Lake and mainly in Mogo. Um, sea Arms, the, the Aboriginal Corporation, the Housing Corporation, managed to help these organisations um, first of all get some insurance money and then get some additional money from um, the Aboriginal Housing Office to rebuild. And we've been in that process for the last couple of years of rebuilding houses for our communities. Very much fighting the good fight then and ever since. You've been honoured with this NAIDOC Award nomination for decades of tireless advocacy for some sort of secure and affordable Aboriginal housing. How does it feel to have that recognition, of course, not just from your community but from the nation? Oh, it, uh, it was good to recognise. I th- think it gives a spot, gives me a spot, uh, gives us a chance to put the spotlight on Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander housing. Mm. Uh, even though it's a national crisis now, housing, We've always had this crisis in our community. We've had this need, this great need, this wave of need coming up, you know, young families having children, more, more children, um, want to keep a sense of belonging in their own community. I've, you know, promoted housing first principles always to the government that works on the principle that um, ex- people experience long-term or reincurring homelessness uh, with complex needs, needs immediate access to stable and safe and affordable housing, uh, that that need precedes every other. And, I, you know, we, we, as Aboriginal people, we need some security around our housing too. Um, private housing doesn't always do it. Private rental doesn't always give us that. It's been quite the life. Tom, I understand you'll be releasing a book later this year. What can we expect? Uh, bit of a bit of a perspective about the journey of, of Aboriginal housing from our place down here in South East Australia, but it, it, it probably relates to every part of the world uh, in Australia, every part, every community in Australia, because um, we've been starved of housing in a, from, from urban and regional com- communities for quite a number of years now, and I've called it, you know, um, uh, uh, a simulation by stealth, because I think there's been a view that white fellas will be able to look after us through housing much better than we look after ourselves. And it's not worked. And we're still crying out for more housing for our people and more organisations like Sea Arms to manage that housing, own and manage that housing. Uh, we will, you know, the Colours in the Gap is such a big, uh, uh, puts another spotlight on housing now. And we, we have, I've helped write a sector strengthening plan for the for our communities right across every jurisdiction and hopefully that will uh, motivate governments, both Commonwealth and the state and territory governments, to invest more in Aboriginal housing. Always more work to do. Uncle Thomas Slocky, thanks very much. Thank you. God bless. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.